Chant it out. Chant it out. Welcome to episode 008 of Shoulder to Shoulder LAFC Podcast. I am your host, Chris, with my co-host, Christian. And in studio today, we have the ultra gringo, Mr. Jonathan Reimer. Thank Thank you, guys. Thank you guys so much for having me. What a pleasure. Hey, thank you for coming. So for those of you that don't know, Jonathan is a member of the District 9 Ultra Supporter Group in the 3252. He is also the originator of the Guy Fox masks in the 3252 section. You can see him. He has a lot of his are of the black and gold color scheme. But um, he is the originator, and don't uh, don't yeah. you ever forget it. No, we're gonna get into you know him being one of the original masked characters in the North End. So we'll talk about that story and a lot of other interesting things that he he wants to share with us. So we're looking forward to that aspect of the of the podcast today. But before we jump into that, uh, we did want to talk about this weekend's match against New York City Football Club or uh, NYCFC and LAFC at the new Yankee Stadium in New York City. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, NYCFC and LAFC played a 2-2 draw, and that was on St. Patty's Day in New York City at Yankee Stadium. I don't know about you guys. You know, I know that, Jonathan, you were cooking for your St. Patty's Day feast, and, uh, you know, I know, Christian, you were a little under the weather, but when I was watching the live broadcast, outside of the announcers' voices, all I could hear were 32-52 chants coming in, man. It was... It was amazing. It was amazing to hear the 3252 in such a loud presence on that broadcast. Nothing but respect for all the members who have the ability to travel. You know, for personal reasons, we'll talk about why I haven't had a chance to do much traveling for the club, but nothing but love for everybody who went out there and lit that city up. Smoke bombs in the streets. Cantos. I mean, people cheering in the subways, and we absolutely embarrassed their supporters groups with the noise we created in the stadium with a much smaller group of people. Couldn't be more proud. Yeah, plenty of Twitter and Reddit threads were giving us kudos as LAFC supporters because of the representation that we, we gave the club. Um, I think there was a bad idea for them, and I think they're going to rethink of where they let us sit because we were right under the press box. It's not like we needed that help. But it just made us even louder on the broadcast. Right. No, I mean, there were people that in that thread that, you know, you and I read on Reddit, there was people who were saying that they were sitting on the opposite side of the 3252 in us. They were in a supporter section for uh, the third rail, which is the supporter section for NYCFC. And they were getting drowned out by the subsection of 300 LAFC supporters. It was incredible. I mean, um, I mean, to be associated with that, it's such a proud, proud thing. Oh, nothing, nothing but love for those guys. And, you know, every time the camera panned over to 3252, we saw unison. We saw people standing shoulder to shoulder and singing their lungs out. And every time the camera panned over to third rail, it just looked like another section of the stadium. I mean, a stadium that by no means should be having a football game played in it. But, you know, I mean, nonetheless, their supporters were and should be embarrassed by yeah. what we saw on TV and what we heard. So what what did you guys think of the 2-2 game? What did you guys think of the lineup? We had a couple of injuries. We had Stephen Betashur out with an injury. Uh, Lee Wynn was out with an injury. So what did you guys think about having Blessing come in and playing in the midfield and also having Silva playing as our right back? My opinion, I, I thought that Silva did okay. If you really watch the game, they were actually attacking down his flank because they knew he was probably uncomfortable playing on the right instead of in the central back position. So that's one thing I noticed that uh, NYSCFC was doing from a tactical perspective. It's fitting to me that they're playing a baseball stadium and he was kind of become our utility man. He He's playing, you know, wing back. He's playing center mid. He can be a winger. He can even play striker. I feel like the only thing left for him is him being a center back and a goalie now because he's exuded this energy and put it anywhere on the pitch and then performed um, so I thought he looked more comfortable than I expected him to. He uh, is absolutely the heart and soul winner for me in every game. But to see him play a more central role in this game than we've seen so far this season, I thought he handled it well. I think, I mean, certainly their first goal came through pretty much every person we had on the right side of our team as right. they streaked down that side, which was hard to watch. But, you know, we know we got people playing out of position, but 
you know, to the betta fish, concussions are terrible. I, I've had them myself. They are no fun. Right. Um, it, it's not a situation you'd want anyone to be in, and it's not something you can just play through. So, you know, until he comes back, it's nice to see people step up. You know, I mean, obviously there were some takeaways from this game that we could have performed better on. But, I mean, all in all, I thought with a lot of people playing out of position and some of the decision-making that happened in the game, we came back and fought back from being down twice. And you have to tip your cap to that fight. Yeah, absolutely. Carlos Velo with uh, two goals in yeah. the game. And Latif was involved in both goals. He had the assist on the first goal, and then he generated the foul on the second goal. Right. While you had mentioned something that made me think about it, this upcoming game, we're going to have a lot of spots that need to be filled. We have, we recently, over the last week, sent four players to Phoenix to join Lamar Bautista. So we sent Shaft Brewer Jr., Tristan Blackman, Josh Perez, and Javi Perez are now playing for Phoenix. And we also had... Four call-ups for this international break. Christian Ramirez is playing for the U.S. Men's National Team. Mark Anthony Kay is playing for Canada. Peter Lee Vassal for Pe- Jamaica. And El Manur for Libya. So we are potentially going to have to fill a good amount of slots. And so we were looking at what our lineups may be. And if Lee Wynn is still out, if Betashore is still out, I mean, it's it's going to be almost kind of thin even to fill the 18. So I, I know that uh, over last weekend, Lamar Bautista was at free play and not with Phoenix. So it made me kind of think maybe he's going to be one of the 18 and be on the bench for this upcoming game against RSL. In Bob, we trust. He's the builder. He's oh. built a oh, deep no, team. Of course. He's built a team that has been able to adapt to call-ups, that has been able to adapt to players getting shuffled around. And, you know, I have faith in that man to make the right decisions when it comes to putting a team on the field. No, definitely. I was going to say uh, one of the things is Orta. I think... Bob had in mind keeping his confidence up and then playing on that not-so-great pitch, small space. He needs room, I think, more so. And then I don't think he's necessarily defensive-minded to track back as much, even though the pitch is small. And coming off an injury, maybe that's why he didn't put him in or to start and thought that Latif was more fit and more ready for that match. But I see that this RSL match and our beautiful pitch with more room and him getting another week of fitness and treatment, I think he might start and then bring Latif off the bench to be that game changer that he always is. So just something that I had in mind well, you, from a tactical perspective. And you also mentioned the fact, too, that RSL had a yeah. couple red cards. Mm-hmm. Last and some international game. call-ups, too. So they're going to be thin also. Yeah. So I was talking with some LAFC fans via text today, and I, I kind of predicted uh, like a 4-1 or 3-zip uh, result just because of the different changes that are happening with RSL that are, I think, a little deeper than what LAFC is experiencing for this upcoming match. Yeah, I mean, um, just an update, by the way. I think we're about 10 minutes into this podcast, and I just want to point out that Vela has been fouled 14 times already. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, I mean, it's unbelievable how much... He, I think they said he was the second most fouled person last season. Right, there was a World Cup break. Think about that. Yeah, right. If he would have been here for the whole month of uh, June and July, who knows? But it's, you know, to there's there obviously people respect his ability on the pitch, and so because of that, they want to try and minimize his game. Keep taking knocks like that throughout every game is got to be frustrating, and it's also got to be taxing on the body. No, oh, definitely. Um, if you were to tell us as fans that we were going to go into New York and take a point away from that horrible pitch and after, you know, such long travel across the country, I would have said, okay, that, that's fine with me. So yeah. To walk um, out of New York with a point is, is a win in my book. Although uh, Dio should have had it at the end. Oh, <laughs> my gosh, it was so close. The last, like, 30 seconds of the match. I mean, Zimmerman a little before that, but no. Oh, right. that's true, yeah. You know, shots are going to fall to you. You're not going to make every single one. Uh, that's the game. It's beautiful. If every single goal opportunity went exactly as it looked it was going to go, you know, that wouldn't be, be as much fun. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, we got to fight from behind twice. I love that fight in, in the squad and the boys. I mean, I really thought they did a great job, you know, to show that resilience. And sure, I mean, we can walk away from that match saying we should have had the points, could have put up four, maybe five, if you look at those clear opportunities. But, you know, to go into a team like NYCFC that last season was, you know, considered a contender, this season maybe not as much, but... To be able to go into a stadium like that with all of its, 
let's be kind and say eccentricities, you know, and to be able to walk away with your head held high thinking you should have had the points, uh, you know, despite maybe not having the possession, but having those clear opportunities. You know, look, we won in the stands. We'll always win in the stands, but, you know, we put a good show out there on the pitch. That was a good product. Yeah, lots of respect from New York City, I've heard. Yeah. From, and I've, or I've read more so. But, uh, yeah, so let's just make sure that everybody's aware, right? LAFC has another game this upcoming weekend, Saturday, March 23rd, against Real Salt Lake at the bank, and the match starts at 7.30. Yep, so let's avenge that forgettable playoff match, and then let's put it to them and, you know, put it to bed early, hopefully. Gosh, man, that was that was a rough month to be an L.A. sports fan. I had to drag my crying mother out of a World Series game, and... Uh, you know, somebody may have had to drag me crying out of the North End. Let's not lie. I mean, oh, uh, a was... hug from Tyler Miller didn't make up for it. It was uh, it was a rough way to go out. We owe them a whooping, a whooping yeah. Yeah. of monumental proportion. Absolutely. Yeah. Shout Let's out hope... to Tyler Miller, by the way. Shout out to Tyler yeah. Miller, episode 003. If you want to check out that episode, you guys go ahead and follow us and listen to it on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. Episode 003 is when we had Tyler on. But... Uh, yeah, let's hope that this RSL game looks just like it was the first time when we played RSL and we beat them 5-1. Uh, to one. That's what I'm hoping. This weekend is actually a very, very important game for Jonathan and his family, and we will definitely touch base on that at some point later in this interview. This is a perfect timing, almost too perfect. You know, we're having you on today, which is Tuesday, the day that we're recording. We'll probably have it out a couple of days before the match. Tuesday, March 19th. Tuesday, March 19th. But this is going to be a great episode. We were really happy to have Jonathan in. Actually, Jonathan is actually going to be part of this podcast for the next four weeks because I am going to Paris with my wife in, on March 26th, and I'll be back the 1st of April. And then on the 5th of April, Christian is leaving with his wife, and they're going to Morocco. Yep. A little bit of globetrotting, taking this shoulder-to-shoulder podcast internationally. You know so there you go. We'll have to make sure we take our pictures in uh, the foreign countries with uh, our scarves and send them back stateside. While the two of us are gone, you know, Jonathan's going to fill in for me for a week, and then Jonathan is going to fill in for Christian for two weeks. And so Jonathan is uh, now an extended arm of the shoulder-to-shoulder LAFC podcast. I could not be more proud, more honored that you guys have selected me. And the commute from my house to the studio here is brutal. We all know how bad L.A. traffic can be, and the whopping four blocks we discovered today from my house to the studio is, I, I just don't know how I'm going to manage. I mean, I hope you guys appreciate that sacrifice. <laughs> you Pedestrian know, traffic if, in L.A. is if crazy. If you need me, I will get you an Uber, <laughs> and uh, we will make sure that it's a pre-charge of the $2 that it takes for you to go from your house to here. Summon my inner Gary Gold and get frustrated if you send me a rideshare Uber. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> An Shout out Gary Gold with the uh, rideshare Ubers. Oh, oh Gary, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, so Jonathan, t- I mean, let's just let our listeners know. Tell us a little bit about your backstory. Did you ever play soccer growing up? You know, if yes, who did you follow, whether it was another MLS team or the EPL or. Or Bundesliga, a, a, a or... Bundesliga or any of the teams in Europe, or um, and if not, if you didn't ever play soccer, how did you get introduced to it? Well, I was introduced to soccer in 1990. I was seven years old, and I was sitting on the couch with my opa, which uh, in German is my grandfather, and there was a World Cup played in 1990, and uh, if you are a De Mannschaft fan, uh, that might be a particularly memorable World Cup. I remember sitting there in, you know, the old smoky, dusty living room from my grandfather, pack-a-day smoker, as he's rasping and screaming at the screen. And obviously, uh, at the end of that tournament, uh, we walked away with a trophy. The Klinsmann. Ah, Jürgen. Ah, mm-hmm. So that, that to me, was, uh, you know, my first introduction to the beautiful game. At that point, we were... You know, more than half a decade removed from having a domestic league here. So my initial soccer fandom was really something that happened every four years. There wasn't much of a way in the early 90s to follow the game as it was going on in Europe, aside from catching little tidbits here and there. So I tend to follow the German national team players as they sort of matriculated throughout the sports world. So you can fast forward about six years. Um, I'm in junior high, and that's when the MLS formed. 
Uh, I am a Californian, born and raised, and I have always been a Los Angeles sports fan. I grew up a diehard Dodgers fan, and any team that put L.A. on their jersey was a team I supported because I supported this city. And in mid-90s, a, a certain team happened to be the first MLS team to be here, and I tried legitimately, and this, this might be embarrassing to admit nowadays, but I tried to be a Galaxy fan, and it just never worked. My philosophy, my ideology on life never seemed to gel with them. I wasn't an English kid, and so I was never accepted with the English hardcore fans. I was not a person born of Hispanic or Latin descent, and so I was not welcome in that particular circle. And in those days, if you wanted to be a Galaxy fan, and you weren't English, and you weren't Latino, it was very hard to sort of get into that culture. Um, the game back then in MLS was very experimental. It was not considered to be real soccer from an international standpoint. We didn't have the players, we didn't have the quality of pitches or the quality of game, and it became very hard to stay with that. There, was, there was shootouts back yeah, then. I yeah, I mean, there was a clock where, yeah. I mean, people are shooting from, you know, mid-pitch yeah. to try and score a goal. It's yeah. The timer ran down. Yeah. They tried so many things that were kitschy, and it just never connected. And, and the whole culture around the galaxy never was a culture that I could embrace. And so I gravitated away from MLS by the time I got into high school and, and really got back into baseball more as my primary sport that I loved. I would still follow national team players as uh, for the German national team as, as they sort of made it around. And then, you know, obviously we start to see the rise of the U.S. teams, uh, primarily first with the women's team. My little sister played soccer, and so... Uh, you know, I remember my little sister's most prized possession growing up was a ball autographed by Mia Hamm. Crazy how that's come around for some. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Has um, she ever come to LAFC matches? Uh, you know, my little sister uh, lives in New York, so she uh, actually did come with me to a match. She came with me to Ladies' Day last year and represented. Um, and that was that was a beautiful moment to be able to share LAFC with my little sister and be like, you know, here's Mia's team. And I have to say, my entire family now are diehard LAFC fans, um, no matter where they are in the globe. So, so that's pretty amazing. I mean, but it's that's, contagious. You that's, know? that's sort of how I, I came to the game. Uh, I followed a lot of the European clubs that tended to hire German national team players. I like youth players, and I like teams that, that are willing to explore the international market. So in, in England, I, I tended to gravitate towards Arsenal because they were always the team that gave the young guys the shot, yep. and they were certainly a team that had a very long history with famous German national team players. Yeah, they went to Germany and France a lot to yeah. get their players, yeah. I really, really loved the fan base associated with Chivas USA when it started, and some of the negative experiences I had had with the Galaxy really caused me to gravitate towards Chivas USA, but the quality of the product on the pitch never really captivated me and around that time for work I work in the wine business and I was up near wine country in Napa for a number of years uh, at the time. For those of you that don't know our guest Jonathan is a actual state certified sommelier right? Oh. Sommelier? Yeah yeah sommelier. Um, me, my mother still can't pronounce it right <laughs> and I've been a psalm for about 11 years now but the easiest way I teach people is some all yay some all yay. So, uh, and for I, those of you that don't know, that's the uh, the person who is the expert at wine. Yeah, sommelier. Yeah, if you can't pronounce sommelier, most of my friends just call me a cork dork. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's the easiest way to call it. Um, but uh, I'm a nerd. I'm a wine nerd. That's, that's who I am. And it's not just wine. It's beer. It's spirits. It's mixed beverages. It's cigars. It's food and wine pairings. It's... It's, it's restaurantism. It's, it's so many different things that, that go into being a sommelier. Um, You're an expert in fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is, um, actually. <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful job to have. Working in the adult beverage industry is something that uh, I'm really passionate about. It's something that I really love. Um, so now let me ask you real real quick sidebar before we get back into your story of uh, the culture at uh, for Chivas USA. Beer, wine, or alcohol? It depends on the food, my friend. You know, that's that's a great question. My question is, uh, you know, do you have multiple children? Which one do you love the best? Uh, and my I first can't... one, but don't tell me. Oh, that. my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I really don't 
have a preference between beer, wine, and spirits. Um, you know, for those of you who've come over to my house and seen a watch party or, or, or whatever, you'll know that, you know, my living room has about 700 bottles of hard alcohol in it. Um, I have two different wine cabinets and a wine fridge with close to a thousand bottles in my cellar. We got a kegerator in the house and I have two different beer fridges as well. I'm so too. glad you're only four blocks away. <laughs> um, I, I am an alcohol enthusiast, a collector, uh, an advocator, a connoisseur, but, but by no means a hedonist, you know, I mean, it's about prudent recreational drinking in, in you know, and, and, Everything in any in corner of the world, there's someone producing sublime, otherworldly, really amazing, life-affirming stuff. And there could be someone next door making complete plonk, right? Um, it's all about the passion of the person making it that comes through in the product, right? Uh, you know, we see that in the galaxy. There's no passion behind the people who own that club. There's no passion in the stands. And the passion in the product on the field suffers from it. And you look at just a short amount of time what LAFC has been able to accomplish. It's waking have... them up. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. yeah. You, the, feel, the... you see the Galaxy are trying to step up their game, whether it's in in-game experience or if it's su uh, supporter experience. But, I mean, you definitely can see that the Galaxy are trying to make changes so that the that they're more competitive with what LAFC has brought to Los Angeles. Definitely. So so going back to what you're talking about, Chivas USA, the product on the field wasn't necessarily what you wanted from the team, even though you thought the fans in the stands were doing a better job in terms of passion and the atmosphere they were creating. So uh, from there to you know what you're what you're living or experiencing now, you know, talk about that journey of, you know, that that team folding going away and then like a phoenix rising from the ashes this team comes and learns a lot of lessons from what that team did probably not uh, correctly or the best way and learn from you know international atmospheres the way to approach um, culture and um, building a structured team when i first heard about lafc i was so excited i was so excited that we were finally going to have a team that was a Los Angeles team. The Galaxy were never a Los Angeles team. The Galaxy were always some sort of production, right? It was created within the Southland, but it was created for a different market. You know, it was a product that, you know, we know this as Angelinos, we know this as people from Southern California. There are two Los Angeleses. There are the Los Angeles that we know and love and live. And there is the Los Angeles that we sell to tourists. And the Galaxy is the Los Angeles we sell to tourists. LAFC was what it meant to be an Angelino. You know, and, and that is not something that is taken lightly by me. And when I started to hear about LAFC and, and hear about culture and, and to know that, you know, I mean, it was a matter of days between the official death of, of Chivas USA and, and the start of LAFC. I mean, I knew the right people were going to be behind it. When the ownership started to come together and you really started to get the first little pieces of marketing that they sent out to us, it was amazing to see how transparent they were, how involved in the community they were, how much they cared about what we had to say. The fact that we were able to speak to people directly involved in, in, in marketing and ownership and say, you know, this is what I want the club to be. I want it to be something that is, you know... Uh, what it means to be a resident of Los Angeles, not, you know, simply going for whatever was the trendiest marketing thing at the moment. I mean, you know, it's, I feel like the last, this episode and episode seven, I've just, I've heard these analogies that are just, I mean, I'm, I'm floored. You yeah. know, last, uh, last week we had the analogy of, um, Lord Commander talking about, you know, when people say, how can you love a team that, wasn't in existence and he taught he made the comparison of loving an unborn child you know and here you are making the same thing where you're saying you know the two types of los angeles is the los angeles that that is all about the the family and and the culture and 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 then versus what we sell to tourists and it's just like it is you know it's when you put it that way or at least i feel mm -hmm. a very similar way about that and i'm sure that there are a lot of people that would probably look at that and say I can see exactly why you would say what you're saying, and that's 
It's just I love this, right? Like no. we're doing these podcasts oh, and we're shout talking out all Lord these. Commander, one yeah. of the greatest people you will meet yeah. in the thirty-two fifty-two. Absolutely, you, it's amazing how you get. Uh, for me, at least, and Chris, we get goosebumps just listening to you to these um, stories, right? Um, the kind of origin stories, or or how people get involved, or you know what 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 it meant to you. So, you know, the 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 team is announced, right? Um, it's something that you want to be a part of. Uh, I know that you're an original, and both Chris and I are originals. Um, and you saw the sports arena be there, not be there, be rubble. We get to sign, you know, the foundation. And I know you were part of that. So, you know, talk about that experience, um, how you felt um, this progression literally physically happening. Uh, and also, like, once you noticed that the supporter culture that Chivas USA had and how some of those supporters transformed into uh, supporting this new club that was um, uh, being incepted, basically, being, being a new team part of the MLS. One of my first experiences with the 3252 outside of email communications, you know, I mean, those kind of initial surveys and stuff like that, because I have a pretty demanding work life and I don't get out as much. The foundation signing event was one of the first events that I got to go to where I was able to see exactly what the chants and the smoke bombs and the culture and the people and everything. And, and it was intoxicating. It was fascinating. I, I mean, I became so absorbed after that moment and everything that was going on with this club. And I was really appreciating the idea behind the club prior to that. But when they said, look, we'd like you to come and put your name under the pitch. And for as long as this stadium stands, this game will be played above your name. I mean, that was such a powerful moment. That was really, really a huge thing. Uh, and I think that moment was so solidifying. Every single person in there walked away with this sense of engagement, this sense of pride, this sense of passion. Um, and to see so many fans having learned the chance. I mean, there was more people chanting at that rally than there was in New York last week for NYCFC, let's be honest. <laughs> and there was I mean, a big hole in the ground. There's, you know, yeah. and, and we're sitting there and we're, we're talking about a crane in the sky, a dirt pitch with an inflatable soccer ball in the middle of it. And, and, and there was so much of what it means to be Los Angeles right there in that moment. We had different cultures, different backgrounds, different people. Um, and everyone came together in that moment. There was none of the contention that you saw amongst fan bases in Southern California football soccer prior to that. You know, I mean, I'm used to showing up at an event with multiple supporters and there being conflict and confrontation and, and segregation and so many of these other things that have been synonymous with the galaxy throughout my life, my mm -hmm. experience. Right. And, and to see everyone sort of swarm together. And the second we started singing, that crowd got tighter and tighter and tighter and everyone sort of moved toward the middle. And, and that experience to me, I mean, I walked away from it awestruck. It was, I mean, I remember too, you know, it's like, like you said, you are standing there and it's just a bunch of mounds and mounds of dirt and they have rendition boards and stuff and what you can imagine the stadium to look like. And you see this large community behind you and they're chanting and singing and standing in arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder. And it just, it, it gave me the impression that what I was joining in on was going to be this amazing experience. Yeah. And it has been, this is something bigger than you. And you know, some of those people that bought, brought the organizational uh, wherewithal or structure um, to the supporter culture were some of these, um, team uh, members from the team that you know was just had just folded right so ha talk talk to us about meeting some of the different supporter groups because you know they do the tailgates before the match and they're all hanging out they're all very welcoming and you ultimately decided for one of them so you know talk to us about that experience and and in the end why you chose the supporter group you chose you know first and foremost i just want to say that Yes, I am D9U, and being an Otra has been such a positive force in my life. It has been so overwhelmingly powerful in so many ways. But if you are a card-carrying member of the 3252, you are my family. And it does not matter 
what supporters group you affiliate with. And I don't care if you're Expos, Cuervos, Army, Armada, Tigres, whomever, Hombres. I mean, there's so, so, so many of them nowadays. Um, I stand shoulder to shoulder with you. You are my, you know, my brothers, my sisters, my non-binary dudes, whoever you are, you are my people. And, you know, just because my immediate family is D9 you doesn't mean that my aunts and uncles and cousins and people and all over the, we don't come together in the 3252 uh, and do something truly amazing. But, but my particular path was my, my decision to choose a ticket within the supporters section was really contingent upon there being safe standing. I had seen what supporters section and supporters cultures had been throughout the MLS by observing that. And, and I knew that all of this really hung to me on one thing in seeing what, you know, some of my friends and extended family and experience within Germany, I, I knew that safe standing was huge. And Why? it was something I was adamant about what? in all the initial organizational surveys, because I knew that, if you had to stand, you had to be involved. And if you had to be involved, that created a different atmosphere. And there's something inherently American about checking out from time to time. And if you have a seat, if you have the permission to check out, if you have the ability to check out, it's going to happen. And that's okay for the people that want to do that. But if I was going to be involved in supporter culture, it had to be 90 minutes. It was not going to be 50 minutes of supporter culture and 40 minutes of sitting back and watching a game. That, that was it for me. And so the second safe standing became a thing. That's when I knew, 3252, you know, I was going to be in the supporter section. I mean, at that point in time, I don't think we had the phrase 3252. That came about it was in the works. much later. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the second safe standing became official. I was, I was in for the supporter section. And so at that point, it really became about, okay, finding myself and finding where I fit in. So I did a lot of research on the various supporters groups. Um, and ultimately, it came down to those first couple matches, wandering around Christmas Tree Lane and just getting a feel for everybody and, and meeting people and, and just seeing where I fit and what gelled and, and you know, what people I got along with and, and where I felt like these were the people that I wanted to support. Um, it, it became pretty clear from the onset, my respect for the Chivas USA supporters had a lot to do with the Union Ultras and what they were doing. And that was always something that in the back of my mind, I knew that they had proven to me from what I had seen in the Chivas USA days that they had something going on there. There was an initial phrase that was passed around the early D9U era um, that still exists to this day of Los del Carnaval. And that was sort of the inspiration behind wearing a mask to the game um, and being a person who decided to, to prior to day one, game one, buy that mask, invest myself in, in wearing a mask for the game. There was always this, this connection to that, that, that idea of uh, carnival. You know, I mean, you look back and see a lot of the guys who painted their faces and wear masks, and there was a particular affiliation and culture centered around them. But... I didn't want to let that be the decision maker for me. I wanted it to be organic. You know, I mean, and so I went around, man. And, you know, I mean, I had, you know, hot dogs with Tigres. You know, I mean, I had beers with the Lucky Boys. I had uh, tacos with the Expos. You know, I sat back and cracked beers with Black Army and with Cuervos and with, you know, a lot of those original supporters groups. And I kept coming back to D9U and just, I felt welcome. I felt accepted. I felt the people there. And, you know, ultimately... That was me without the mask on. And, and during the tailgates, when I put the mask on, you know, some of the supporters groups were a little more apprehensive about that back when it was, you know, day one, game one. And Lord Commander was the guy who came to me and said, you get it. You understand what this is about. You want to bring the aguante, the endurance. Uh, it's a, a term that gets thrown around the ultras a lot. It's about you want to be the person that for 90 minutes is standing and, and, and blowing your lungs out. And... He looked at me and he said, you get to make decisions for yourself. You're a grown man, but you're D9U, and you'll understand. Come and let me show you. And he brought me over and introduced me to some people, explained who I was and what I was doing, and, and you know, from that moment on, it just made sense. And so I, I started hanging out with the Ultras before games, and it became very clear very early in the season last year that I had found my home.
And and how did you come about the Guy Fox mask? So about a month before our first game, I decided that I wanted to do something a little different, and I wanted to have some fun with it. And and this is something that throughout supporter culture, you know, I mean, whether it's you know casuals or whatever, throughout the soccer world, there's always these people that you know wrap the scarf around their face, wrap the mask around their face, and I thought. You know, there's a way to tie that concept of intense supporter culture that we see throughout the world. And and really, I kept coming back to this concept of Los del Carnaval that the D9U had, had put out. You know, and that was one of the first things that, that you would see when you would explore D9U in, in places like, you know, Internet and stuff like that. And so, you know, I just decided like, hey, let me just go online and look up black and gold masks you know, carnival masks. And so I started scrolling through and eventually I came across the Guy Fox mask. And I started thinking about this concept of wearing the mask and what that means to me. So many people in Los Angeles want everyone to recognize their name and everyone to recognize their face. And it's all about promoting yourself, right? I mean, I got to get my headshots done. I got to get my headshots out there. People got to see me. I got to have that presence. <clears throat> to me, that wasn't what supporter culture was about. Supporter culture was about raising your voice in unison, being a part of something bigger and sacrificing the self. And so a mask that had that connotation of anonymity, that connotation of anonymous to it, just really resonated with what I felt the themes of LAFC were. And so wearing a mask that meant it wasn't about me, it was about something bigger and lending yourself to the 3252, it just, it clicked. And and so now, if you ever take a chance to get up close and personal with the 3252, there are several people that wear the Guy Fox masks. Yeah, and, and that's so cool that that has taken off. And I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to see it someday when we have that one match a year that's the masquerade and everyone wears a mask in the whole stadium and whatever kind you want. But That would be an epic moment. It would yeah. really be cool. I mean, that first game, and, you know, I mean, you can go back and watch the videos from that first tailgate. You know, there's four people dressed up, you know, I mean, as, as far as the mask and the face paint. You got, I mean, El Catrin Muerto, I mean, he's the guy from the inspiration for all of this for many of us. Um, you know, his story, his family, what he brings to this is amazing. And that was certainly an inspiration. You know, there was LAFC soccer head, you know, who dates back to the Dodger days. And, and it's so cool to see the passion that he brings and, and the effort it takes to put mm. that face paint together. <laughs> amazing, you know? Yeah, and then, like, not not only the face paint, but he embraces all aspects. Like, I know we've been one of the tats and some of the other podcast logos have been on him. So he... Anyone he meets and there's something significant to the club, he embraces that. He asks for the logo and he puts it on himself. Right. So, it's ever-changing, too. It's it's never the same. Yeah. Every game is different. It's like a zebra game so, to game. So cool yeah. what he brings. Um, but, you know, that requires a level of artistic ability, dedication. Um, you know, obviously, Vela shows up, and when he signs, he puts on the Luchador mask. And, and that very first game... Uh, you know, LAFC Luchador was wearing the Luchador mask. and But, I mean, there was really just the four of us. We were the first four to take that idea and run with it. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, I mean, even on the road, every home game, you see so many people wearing so many different kinds of masks. You know, you know, especially from, from supporters groups that kind of were giving me a weird look that first day. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, being 6'5", I kind of stand out in the crowd. <laughs> right? yeah. so, you know, this big guy wearing a Guy Fox mask. There were a lot of people who kind of looked at me like, eh, what's going on here? Um, but things change, things yeah. progress, and now oh, it's and part it's, of the culture. And, I mean, you know, you were almost like a trail, one of the trailblazers along with these other characters well, that I mean, weren't were willing to put, put that effort in in the beginning. Absolutely. I mean, and you even look at... It's, it's expanded now, right? I don't know if you guys saw the photos, but the game against Portland, there was a guy who was standing on the Capo stand wearing a Casey Jones mask from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, it's, I mean, it's it, it's just, it's, it's evolving, and it's changing, and people, and the more unique characters that we get in the 3252, I think that that just encourages more and more people to show their artistic ability and to feel comfortable not being just, you know, themselves. They can put on a mask and be some whatever kind of rendition of themselves they would like to be. And you know, that's that's amazing. Right. 
one of the things about the 3252 that I find so beautiful and amazing is how much we support one another and how much we see, you know, various other people take on these various different forms is great. And if I in any way helped inspire those people, that's amazing. But, you know, I mean, it, it, it really just takes a certain amount of sacrifice to, to, to do that for the first time. And then I think if more people did it, they would realize how much fun it is. Of course. You know, get to be somebody outside of your own skin. As I say, because of this embracement and this um, you being part of the District 9 Ultras, there's a unique name that you were given. So why don't you tell everyone what that name was that was given to you? This is one thing that uh, maybe from a branding standpoint, I haven't done the best job of, but it was never about that for me. But, you know, so many people throughout the club know me by so many different names whether it's online as you know boozeology um you know which is more affiliated with my work and my job and my profession but there was we were standing in line to get into the north end one day um maybe the third home game and somebody yelled something to me and they said you know hey gringo this whatever and my spanish is terrible but i mean i I can stumble through a little bit of it and and i don't know what caused it to come out but somebody looked at me and i just said to them look yo no soy un gringo yo soy el gringo um and it 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 didn't mean anything other than like hey like i'm not just some white boy i'm the white boy you know like it was just it was just a joke um and it took off and so everyone started calling me gringo um you know and and because the ultras had had embraced me they said no you know look you're you're our gringo you're ultra gringo and so, so this, this name Ultra Gringo just sort of happened. Um, you know, I mean, it was one that was given to me by the Ultras and one that I, uh, you know, I rep proudly. And that's how most real nicknames are, right? They come from a place of endearment, um, of embracement. And, you know, you put that out there first and then they said, no, you're not El Gringo, you're Ultra Gringo. You're, you're, the, you're one of the people that were here from the beginning and you're with the District Night Ultras. They put those two things together. Um, and let's make this fusion of cultures and commitment to the club a real thing. And it's become a nickname or a name or alter ego with your mask that that is, is something that's real in the 3252 and in the stands. It's really, really amazing to think that, uh, you know, that A, that, you know, D9U would, would lend me that word to be able to, to use, that they would put that moniker upon me because... You know, that in and of itself is, is a huge amount of responsibility and pride and emotion and For so sure. much is wrapped into that as well, too. It's, it's really amazing. So there was a foundation that was laid in terms of community and commitment and uh, supported culture. Um, but, you know, there was more serious things that they were also happening while all these things were happening from a football footballing um, fandom standpoint. And, you know, your personal life had a different trajectory versus, you know, your supporter of a football club uh, life. So why don't you tell us about that, you know, and we can expand further in the next few episodes because you're going to be here so frequently for the next month or so. But, you know, tell us about that and how, how you feel like the community of the 3252, the District 9 Ultras have, have helped you overcome some of these things and challenges that you've experienced uh, personally. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, obviously most people came to know me as, you know, that the tall guy in the mask wearing the Guy Fox mask, but, but what really... You know, the moment in which I stopped sacrificing myself for the club and really had to ask for some support with the club, I was based uh, uh, around, uh, you know, my love, uh, Amanda, Mandy. Uh, she got incredibly sick uh, very early in last season. She was in a coma for about three months, and, you know, we almost lost her, but she recovered, and... That is an amazing story. That is a really, really beautiful thing. It's hard. It's hard not to talk about it and get a little choked up. So I'm gonna try and try and keep my cool. Take your time. You know, I would say that the amount of love that I got from everyone in the 3252, from ownership of the club, marketing, everyone, so many people came together and really, really stepped up for us in a way that was. Not something I would have predicted it at all. You know, I mean, you got 22,000 people in those stands. You got so many different backgrounds and cultures and so many different people going through so many different things. But 
to be able to be the recipient of the kind of support that we've had is truly amazing. Really, absolutely amazing stuff. Mandy, thankfully, has uh, survived and has recovered. You know, it's been an incredibly long, incredibly long process with, you know, so many ups and downs and ins and outs and caveats to it. But I am beyond overjoyed to announce that this coming game will be her first game at the bank. And oh my God, uh, dude. Right, and for those of you that uh, remember at the beginning, I was saying that this is this upcoming game against RSL is going to be a, a very important match for Jonathan. That is because that is going to be Mandy's first opportunity to watch a game at the bank in person. And I'm happy for you, obviously, that she's recovered, and I'm happy that you guys are going to have this opportunity to go to the game. You know, obviously, this is a, a very... Um, hard journey to go through and to know that especially in the infancy of this of this club that they were there for a fellow member you know whether it was the organization itself the ownership the supporter groups you know the players people being able to show that it is more than just a game that's the that's the kind of things that make people fans for life and, I mean, we're already huge fans of this club, but then to hear a story like this, it just makes you feel like, you know, this is exactly why I'm a fan of a club like this. It's It's been overwhelmingly amazing. I mean, I, you know, it, it does not matter what supporters group people are from or, or people that are unaffiliated with supporters groups. I mean, the overwhelming amount of support that we have received is just, it's just amazing. It really is. Truly, truly just astounding and how is she today she got food poisoning which of all the messed up things to to put you in a coma so she got a virus somewhere but her body just could not fight off the virus um you know and and so bless the people at kaiser sunset uh they saved her life we'll be at the match this this weekend and i can't wait you know to finally meet her I know we've talked about your experience and what the club means to you and how it got you through some rough patches in which you needed an outlet because it's a tough, these are tough moments, right? And you need to, you need to be able to have something to look forward to help you through these tough moments. Are you, uh, you going to be sitting in the North End? We will. Um, huge, huge, huge shout out. Rich Orozco, my boy, everybody's boy, everybody's favorite person at the club. Uh, Rich was able to negotiate with the people at ticketing so that we had access to uh, some disabled tickets. So uh, we will be in the North End. Mandy still can't stand and, and be involved in the whole 90-minute participation in that regard, but uh, we should be sitting with LAFC Juan. Uh, everybody knows him from his amazing online persona and, and, and his ability to connect all of us fans together. So. We will have to uh, momentarily step away from our section with the Ultras and, and be over there in, in the ADA section. But it's going to be amazing just to have her there. Now, is she um, looking forward? I mean, I, I'm, I, I don't know. You know, is, is, is she able to – she knows exactly what's going on. She knows that she's going to the game. She's looking forward to it. She's excited to be there. Oh, she is ecstatic to be there. Um, this is something that, you know, she was an LAFC fan prior to all of this. But, you know, because of scheduling conflicts and, you know, our season last year started with so many road games, the bank wasn't open yet. So, you know, and I had some friends that were hardcore soccer fans. And so, you know, I mean, I took some other people to some of the first couple home games. And so she didn't actually get to experience her first home game, which is, you know, something in retrospect you might feel a little guilty about. But, you know, I mean, all these things play out for a right. reason, and, and this weekend's going to be her first game, and, and, and that's just the way that that worked out. But uh, she is an LAFC fan, and she's super, super excited to be at her first game. You know, this is something we've really, really been waiting on, the medical side of things to come through so that she could be there. It's going to be amazing. You know, it's always kind of been the 32-51 for me. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, especially because I, I – I mean, how long have you guys been together? 
We've been together for a number of years. You know, we were living together prior to, you know, her hospitalization. And, and you know, she uh, lives with her family now because they can provide <clears throat> some of that 24-7 care that she needs. But, you know, I mean, she's she's progressing. She's getting better every day. And, and, but she and was an original. She was there at the, the foundation signing and yeah. everything like that. Yeah. So it's... I mean, she is, uh, one, like you said, you know, the 3251 because she was an original. She was supposed to be there, uh, you know, and, 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 and I mean, and she'll be there now, obviously. But it's just, yeah, that's that's a, an amazing way to look it's at gonna it. It's going to be maybe not the completion of a story, but it's such a huge step in it. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I see you, it as a new beginning. Amen. And are, are you going to, um, I mean, are you guys going to get there early? You know, like let's say some of our listeners want to listen, that are listening in, they want to come and talk to you. How Are you going to get there early? Are you going to, you know, I, I would assume that probably because, you know, she's not, she doesn't have as much energy as she probably would, that you may not want to have her out uh, as early as, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? So is, it, is this something that... We will be at the tailgate. We won't be there all day. Yeah. That's just not where her progress is at right. yet so uh we will try and get to the tailgate a, a few hours before the game maybe not you know gooding goes usually at the tailgate at eight o'clock <laughs> in the morning for a seven o'clock game you know i mean sure uh, uh you know it might be 12 me hours being, 12 hours sounds like a good plan to me might but... be me being one of the first people there typically um is not going to happen and no. that, that's just not where her no, progression right, is at, at the moment but you guys will be able to participate in the tailgate and then absolutely. are you guys uh thinking Please. about come by and say hello yeah, absolutely. oh absolutely um, so definitely we'll be chilling there d9u you, you can't miss us uh, yeah. you know i i stand out in the crowd uh, just look up you'll see me um <laughs> so we will be there a few hours before the game for her to uh, get that experience i can't bring her to a game and not have her get the christmas tree lane experience so you know hopefully and and, and i don't care if you're a 3252 member i don't care what supporters group you're with you know so many people throughout the stadium and throughout the north end have been a part of her recovery and been a part of my support so please please come by yeah, say hello absolutely yeah but so. she will be there in the north end uh and we will be there a couple hours before the game and it's gonna be amazing so but we are all definitely looking forward to that and again thank you very much jonathan for coming in and you guys will hear plenty more of jonathan and and his uh backstory and and what he has to offer to this podcast so we will see you guys this weekend at the bank March 23rd against RSL at 7.30. And uh, if you wanted to follow any of us on social media, it's at LAFCS2S. And if you wanted to follow Jonathan, it is at Boozology. He is on Instagram and Twitter. And, um, yeah, make sure that you guys come up, talk to Christian or I or Jonathan, and let us know what you guys think about the podcast. You know, if you guys are interested in coming on and telling us your story, please reach out, send us an email right now. Send me or Christian an email, chris at lafcs2s.com or christian at lafcs2s.com. And we will see you guys at the bank. So thanks a lot, guys. We'll see you guys next week. Oh, thank you guys so much for having us. Oh.